Good to see you all today. Everybody doing well? Oh, good. I'm so glad to hear it. and <laughs> so glad to get to worship God with you today. Um, just to tack on to Trevor's announcements earlier, the business meeting tonight at four, it's over in the multipurpose building. Uh, while this worship service of our worship service is uniquely uh, mask optional, um, the business meeting's not. So you'll need to wear a mask if you come in for that. You can also drive up, though, uh, since we're approving budget for next year and everything. We want to make sure it's accessible for everyone. So masks on for that one. Uh, or just pull up in your car and you can tune in on the FM and listen in. And uh, one of our guys will come around if you have questions and get them from you uh, or text them in. Have any of you guys put up Christmas lights yet? Yeah, I'm proud of you guys. No, no, yeah, that's, it's absolutely right. Listen here, listen here, listen here. If it is 2020 and the rules seem to be off, then of all the rules that are off, having to wait for Christmas lights should be the most off of the rules, all right? You can put the rest of the rules back on, but that one, uh, Christmas lights at your leisure, please. Um, I'm, I'm getting, I, I was informed that I'm going to be getting ours down this week. So I was told that that's on my list. So I'm going to get that Christmas tree down, uh, maybe later this afternoon. We'll see. Uh, I have good news for you this, uh, this week, uh, <laughs> I have good news for you this week. I'm preaching to you. I'm obviously about to, uh, share the gospel with you. Uh, but next Sunday, Trevor is preaching for us, uh, our associate pastor. And then the week after that, that is the Sunday after Thanksgiving, uh, my father, David Bird, is going to be back uh, to preach for us. They're coming in for Thanksgiving. And so, yeah, yeah, much better quality, you know, <clears throat> bringing the good stuff for Thanksgiving. So uh, he'll be in He'll be in for that one. Uh, as he was here, he and Trevor did the same sort of thing where Trevor preached and dad preached, um, I don't know, a month and a half or so ago. And so, uh, so we have that to look forward to. We just finished together as a church going through uh, the first three chapters of John and the first three chapters of Genesis back and forth each week. And then these three Sundays, uh, this one, Trevor and dads are all just kind of separate sermons. Then we're going to talk about Christmas things from Scripture for a few weeks. Uh, and in the new year, we'll probably do another two books of the Bible uh, together like that simultaneously. It was a lot of fun to read Scripture that way. But for today... <clears throat> Matthew chapter 11 is where we're going to be. Matthew chapter 11, I'm going to start reading in verse 27. In verse 27, Jesus says, everything has been given to me. Everything is under my authority. And we all have to ask ourselves, is that a good thing or a bad thing? It sort of depends on who Jesus is, doesn't it? You know, the Psalms say, God sits enthroned in the heavens and he does whatever pleases him. So God does whatever pleases him. Is that good news or bad news for us? As it turns out, it's great news. If you know who this God is, it's excellent news. You know, there may be, you may be traveling, and if you travel to a foreign country that still has a king, you show up in the country and you find out who the king is, and you got to ask yourself, well, is it a good king or a bad king? You know, is this good news or bad news for me to be in this area with this kind of ruler? It kind of depends on the character and the plans of that king. Jesus today says in Matthew chapter 11, all things have been entrusted to me by the Father. He says, I am in charge of all things. And then he immediately tells us how good that news is for all of us. Let's read scripture together, starting in Matthew chapter 11, verse 27. Jesus says, All things have been entrusted to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone whom the Son desires to reveal him. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is what Jesus says about himself. Turns out it's great news who this God is. Creator of the universe. God over all things. All-powerful and all-knowing. Comes into the world. Jesus says, all things are entrusted to me. No one knows the Father except the Son. No one knows the Son except the Father. He says, I am God just as the Father is God. And what's it mean for us? Well, Jesus came into the world to say, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. It couldn't be better than what it is. The first thing he says is so simple. Come to me. It's easy. What does God want from you today? Come to him. He says, come to me. It's, it's not difficult. It's possible that you don't, that you choose and say, no, I'm not interested. But you shouldn't. Because it's easy and all joy lies in this and all hope lies in this to simply come to him. As he said right here in scripture, so he says it to each one of us every day of our lives. This call goes out all the time to every person. And the call from Jesus to you today is this. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. That's what Jesus says. How do you go to him? How do we come to Jesus? In better times, and I hope to do it again someday soon, but uh, we have an altar call. As you know, we always say, hey, we're a coming forward church. Uh, that's what kind of church we are is the coming forward kind. And so we invite everyone at the end of worship service, after a sermon, after we've heard the word of God, to respond to the word of God by doing just this, by coming forward. It's because while we are body, soul, and spirit, we have parts to us, we're still a unified whole. We are just one person. And so what our body does, our spirit does, and vice versa. So it's good and right when you hear God calling, when you feel God working in your life to make a physical response and to stand up and to walk forward, uh, to spend some time in kneeling or in prayer, or if it's for the first time, to confess publicly that Jesus is Lord. But in other times, these times, a simple prayer would suffice. Jesus is saying to you today, come to me. And the response, how do you go to him? Simply call out to him in prayer, Jesus, please help me. It's as easy as that. Jesus, please help me. This is the prayer of Simon Peter sinking under the waves, who was walking on water for a moment, but was weary and heavy burdened and starts to sink. And all he can do is cry out, Jesus, help me. And this is what we cry out as well. The simple prayer that you need to call out to God. How do you go to him? Go to him in prayer. Simply saying, Jesus, please heal me. Jesus, please help me. Jesus, save me. We go to him in a simple declaration. To be a Christian, the basic thing that we confess is Jesus is Lord. Amen. We say Jesus is Lord. That's what it means to be a Christian. How is it that we would go to him? He says, come to me. How do we go? By declaring our whole lives for him. Jesus is Lord. It's a statement both of uh, belief, existential belief, the idea that yes, he is in fact Lord, but it's also a personal recognition. Jesus, please be my Lord. You will be my boss too. It's not just to say that I know Jesus is God. 
but say, I will obey him too. He will be my Lord and my King and my life. Jesus is my boss. It's a way of saying that. How do we go to him? We go to him by saying, Jesus is Lord. How do we go to God? We come to him just like the boy prophet Samuel. Samuel, as a baby, after he's weaned, is left at the temple to be raised there in keeping with a promise that his mother made. And when he's a young boy, he hears a voice calling to him in the middle of the night, and the voice says, Samuel. And Samuel wakes up, and he goes and runs to the old priest, Eli, who's been raising him. He runs over to Eli and wakes him up and says, Eli, what do you, what do you need? I'm here. And Eli says, you're, you're dreaming. Go back to sleep. And Samuel hears again in the night, Samuel. That was more than I thought it was going to be. But uh, <laughs> I felt powerful, and I like it, so I'm keeping it. Just wait. This is going to go a third time. Uh, and so Samuel goes running to Eli a second time and says, Eli, I'm here. What do you need? And Eli, he, he realizes what's going on. And he says, if you hear this voice again, you're going to say, I'm here. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. So sure enough, Samuel is woken again. Samuel. And Samuel doesn't run to Eli. He realizes this is God calling. And he says, I'm here. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. How Jesus is calling us today, just like this. And Jesus is saying you, to you today, come to me. And what is our response but the same thing as Samuel? I'm here. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Let us go to Jesus since he is calling us to come to him. And who should go to him? Who is it today that's going to go to Jesus? All those who are weary and heavy laden. That means all of us. Every last person. We Christians. To be a Christian is, in a way, to be the burdened people. We're the ones who at least have recognized that we're not all right. You start off, you only come to Christ when you realize that you need to go to him. That we're not all right, that we're broken sinners, that we've done wrong. You wouldn't go to Jesus until you realize, darn it, I'm not okay inside and I need him. And then realizing this, we realize that we're the burdened ones. We are the heavy laden ones. But then also to be a Christian is to be the unburdened ones. Because to go to Christ is to find rest from all weariness and all burdens. How exactly does he give us rest? God gives us rest in this way. We can rest easy because we know the conclusion of all things. We know the end of the story. There's no stress left in it for us. We know that at just the right time, Jesus Christ will return. And on that day, he will set everything right. There will be no more wrong. There will be no more evil. There'll be no more surprises. There will be joy forever. There will be eternal life and the dead in Christ will rise on that day and we'll have our eternal life together. We can rest in this and knowing the conclusion of the story that it's all going to be okay. One of the things about living over here on the East Coast that's difficult is that means football games played on the West Coast come on so late at night. You know what I mean? Sometimes what's, these football games that start at 8 or 9 p.m. and you want to watch the end of it, but uh, it's, it's going to be... At my age, I say to you, <laughs> I want to go to bed at night, all right? I'm, I, uh, I've 
mentally and emotionally considered myself in a demographic where uh, 10 p.m. is too late at night. I want to be asleep by then. I like to go to bed early. Perhaps it's not age. Perhaps it's just personality. Some of you guys get by on like four hours of sleep. I have to hibernate every night. I'm a bear. I need like eight or nine hours every night uh, or I am, I am not functioning. Uh, I'm not living my best life. These late night football games, it's so late. And if you get sucked in, you kind of have to stay until you see how it ends. This used to be a problem watching the Cowboys, not this season. I don't have to worry about my Cowboys. I already know the conclusion. I'm not staying up to watch the third and fourth quarter because I know how it's going to end. <sighs> but you know, if you know how the game's going to end, you kind of don't need to watch the end of it. You, you, just, you know how it's going to end. It's going to be all right. You can go to sleep and you can rest. And this is how it is with Christ. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen in the rest of today. We have shockingly little power over the next few minutes of our lives. But we know how it's all going to conclude. And God is going to do it. He's going to take care of it. He's going to take care of us. No matter what happens, the dead in Christ will rise and have their eternal life. We will live sinless, perfected, and eternally with our God. We don't need to know. Hey, all of you who are burdened and weary and don't know what tomorrow is going to bring, there is rest in Jesus Christ because we know the conclusion of all these things. There's rest in Jesus because we know how it's going to end, but there's also rest in Christ because he is with us every step of the way. It's a little shocking, but this is how he has planned it. He's not telling us what's happening tomorrow, but he has told us he will be with us no matter what happens tomorrow. And it is better for us that we trust God every day of our lives, knowing that he is with us, no matter what happens, no matter the difficulties in the future, whether it's difficult, whether it's joyful, whether it's hopeful, whether it's hard, it doesn't matter what's tomorrow. Christ will be with us. And he will be with us up until he brings everything to conclusion perfectly at the end. Have you ever had a health scare? but you didn't know what it was? You ever known that you're not all right? You, you felt wrong and you knew something was wrong, but you couldn't figure out exactly what it was? Not knowing is so stressful sometimes. You ever had to like schedule an appointment, but it was weeks away to even find out, and then they ran the test and you still had to wait until the doctor got the results to make an appointment with you to get the answers, and then you show up and the answers are inconclusive and you still don't know. And it's so stressful not knowing. It may be the case in our lives that we don't know what's going to happen next. But we know that Christ is with us every step of the way and that He knows what will happen next. Some things may get more difficult in our lives. Some things may go away completely and it'll heal us. But no matter what, Christ will be with us. Every day between this day and that day when we are with him for eternity. And in this, we have our rest. He gives us rest by letting us know the conclusion. He gives us rest by being with us every day from here until there. But he also gives us rest by giving us peace within. You don't have to have been alive very long before you start having moments in your life where you suddenly remember something that you're embarrassed about and it brings you great shame. Here are these moments driving along, walking along, laying in bed at night, where you suddenly remember something you said, and you feel 
stupid about it and you feel, you know, or something that you did and you hate yourself about it, you, some sin you did and you hurt somebody else and it comes back to you at the worst possible time and you're just coated in guilt and shame all of a sudden. Ever had these moments? See, to be born, to be human, is to not have peace inside. We're born restless. We're born conflicted and we're born stricken with guilt because of the sins that we do. But we have rest in Christ in this. All those sins in our past have been forgiven completely by Christ. We can live at peace. These things will still come back to us. We'll remember them and have these moments where we just cringe with shame about what we've done or who we've been. But we can immediately put it out of mind and say, I'm forgiven. Christ has already paid for this. I don't have to live in shame or guilt any longer. He has given me rest. Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And he does it in these ways that we know the conclusion. That while we don't know what's going to happen every day, we know that he's with us and he knows every day what will happen. And he gives us peace within. And we can live not as conflicted people, but as forgiven people who are certain of our forgiveness, not because of who we are, us shifting people, but certain of our forgiveness because of who he is, that unshifting, perfect God of ours. We have peace with God so we can rest at night. It's interesting what Jesus promises here, though. It's rest, but it's not just rest. It's also work. Did you catch that? Is it a little surprising here to you that he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke on you, which is essentially get to work uh, in my business. He says, I'm going to give you rest and I'm going to put you to work. At the same time, the same God, we go to him and he gives us rest and he puts us to work. How is it both at the same time? Turns out doing the work of God is what we were made for anyway. And there's a certain restfulness even in that. That's what we wanted to do all along was his work. So he gives us rest, but he also calls us to obedience to him. If you're going to go to Christ, if you're going to come to Christ today, you first of all need to know with great joy that he'll give you rest and he'll give you forgiveness for your sin. Him is to take his yoke upon you. That is to say, if you go to Christ, you're going to have to surrender the steering wheel in your life to him. Uh, the example Christ gives us is the yoke, the thing you put on top of the ox's neck to steer it and to make it work for you and to send it in a straight line down the field. For us, it's essentially saying Jesus is going to be our steering wheel. He's the one who's going to drive the car. Jesus Put me under your control and I will obey and follow you no matter what. That's what he calls us to do. And you, you, you don't get the rest without taking up the yoke. There really is no forgiveness or peace to be had apart from living a life in service to him. Not because he's unwilling to give one without the other, but because they're the same thing. We find our rest and our peace, our forgiveness in offering ourselves to Christ. In him, we find this joy. What does it mean to take up his yoke? It means essentially to give him control of our lives. And the way he is going to steer you is in following the path of Jesus. We're going to have to walk in the way that he walked. 
So the yoke of Christ means a couple of things, just a few that I want to give you specifically, but there's more. A few things that are entailed in the life of Christ, the yoke of Christ is this. First of all, it is living rightly, living righteously. Use those words the same way, living right or living righteous. If you're going to go to Christ today, you're going to have to repent of your sins and turn away from it. If you're going to take his yoke, that means you're going to say, no longer will I live doing these things. I will turn away from rage. I will turn away from anger. I will turn away from lust. I will turn away from living by the flesh. And now I'm going to obey Christ. Take my yoke upon you means living rightly or living righteously. It also means living simply. There's a role for the life of simplicity for all Christian believers. Now, we're not becoming Amish, but simplicity is a Christian virtue. The idea is that sometimes we go for comfort to buying things, but now we're going to go to comfort in Christ. Or it goes like this, if sometimes if you weren't satisfied without buying that, then you won't be satisfied with it either. Satisfaction comes from Christ. He does provide what we need. Now, the life of simplicity for us is not a way for us judging other believers by what kind of house they have or what cars they drive or what they spend their money on. This is entirely about how you will obey Christ. Each Christian needs to be able to point to areas in their life where they've specifically done without. Some area in your life where you said, I just don't even need that. I'm going to be fine without it. Because you know your joy comes from Christ and your satisfaction comes from Christ. There has to be an area in our life where we don't need something. Have any of you ever tried to downsize your life or your house and realized in the process of your downsizing that you ended up upsizing? This happens a lot of people are like, oh, we've got to downsize and get a smaller house. And they always end up with more square footage. Every person, it happens every time. Is it the case that perhaps if your house burned down, you might be a little excited because now you don't have to clean out the attic? <laughs> we might have a problem. Let us find ways to live simply because this is the life of Christ. To have found all of our satisfaction and all of our sustenance in Jesus Christ as Lord. That there are things that we just don't even need or care about because we are already completely at rest and satisfied in Him. The yoke of Christ is to live rightly, it is to live simply, and it is to live seriously as well. The life of Christ is the serious life. This is really bad news for people like me who like to joke around a lot, right? It's not. The serious life is not the opposite of the joyful life. The life of Christ is the joyful life as well. doesn't mean we put away joking. The opposite of the serious life is the life of spectacle, the life of distraction and entertainment. Uh, St. Augustine, Augustine of Hippo, he had this problem, and he, he thought about this for a long time. When you go and read his City of God, he, he describes the difference in his life before Christ and after Christ came. He was so conflicted uh, because every night he found himself drawn at about the time when the sun went down to the theaters. And he, he couldn't, it was this life of entertainment that he didn't want to do, but there were some evil desires in him that were taking him this way. And so he talked about this life of distraction that he was living, although he didn't want to live it. 
And for him, theaters wasn't just like a movie theater. It, it means burlesque. I mean, it was, this was bad and inappropriate things. You and I could live the same distracted life, the same life of entertainment today, and we don't have to go to a theater. It's piped in on every subscription service into our house, exactly uh, what Augustine was struggling against. Augustine realized there is the life lived for spectacle, and there is the life lived on purpose, and that the Christian life is not a life lived trying to distract ourselves endlessly. It's not a life of spectacle. It's not a life of idle thrill-seeking or entertainment. It's not a life of being that guy who has every hobby. Not just a hobby, but all of the hobbies are my hobbies. We can't be the person who pursues spectacle alone. We have to be the person who lives seriously, lives on purpose, lives hoping that the end of the week will have bore some fruit. We would have done something worth doing, that our lives were on purpose and the purpose was glorifying Jesus Christ. We have to live lives that are serious. We live rightly, we live simply, we live seriously, and we live joyfully. Each person is joyful to... Our joyfulness is precisely in proportion to how great our hope is. Uh, whatever it is you're hoping for, however great your hope is, that's the degree of your joy. A child who is currently hoping for Christmas presents has great hope if they feel like their parents are going to provide everything they need. But there's children who have no hope for that, and so their joy towards Christmas anyway is awfully low. Again, it's not to say that stuff is the focus of our life. It's just a simple illustration for us. However great your hope is, the thing you're hoping in, is how great your joy is now. Our hope is in Christ returning and setting all things right. So the Christian life is the most joyful life there is. In the midst of suffering, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of frustration and setbacks, yet we are joyful because we know the conclusion of it. This is the yoke of Christ to live righteously, to live simply, seriously, and joyfully. Again, we ask the question from the beginning. It says Jesus is Lord. Jesus says everything has been given to me. And is that good or bad? Kind of depends on who he is. So who does he say he is? See, all that we know about God is what he's revealed to us. We can't know anything about him unless he tells it to us. And so what does Jesus say about himself here? Jesus says... I am lowly and humble in heart. Were you expecting that? It's a little shocking even still. I've been, I've been following Christ for a long time, and I'm still a little shocked by this, <laughs> shocked into joy and shocked into rejoicing. But God who created everything, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom all things were made and for whom all things exist, he sustains all things even now. And he came and said, I am gentle and lowly in heart. If you or I were all powerful and all-knowing, we might not be gentle and lowly in heart. We might be lording it over creation. But this is not God. God is gentle and lowly towards us. Have you ever walked up on a uh, skittish dog? You ever come up on a dog that's scared or angry or barking or just doesn't know how to control itself? You know how you talk to a skittish dog? Gentle and lowly. It's okay, it's okay. Oh, hey there, boy. Good boy. Who's a good boy? 
and you put your hands down low and you don't make sudden movements and you let the little dog smell your hand and slowly but surely you pet it a little bit if you can. You come gently and lowly. And this is how Christ comes to us. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. And when you go to him, you're not going to find somebody ready to send you on a guilt trip. You're not going to find someone who's there to say, finally, what took you so long? You're not going to find some sort of cosmic jerk. When we go to Christ, we find him gentle and lowly towards us. When you come to Christ today, he is going to say to you, likewise, there you are. Come on, I've been waiting. His desire is for your salvation. Listen, if this is shocking to you, just read what the Bible says here. Jesus himself says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart. Do you believe what Jesus says about himself? Then don't be slow in going to him today. You don't have to try and get something right in your life before you go to him. Go now. He is gently and lowly and looking forward to you, putting your trust in him. Come and take his yoke upon you. He says, finally, verse 30, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How can it be easy and light? After all, if, if we said coming to Christ means saying Jesus is Lord, then if you're going to go to Christ, you have to say, Jesus, you're the boss of my life. So being a Christian doesn't mean giving up an hour of our lives. It doesn't mean giving up 10% of our income. It means everything that I am now belongs to you. To come to Christ means to make yourself a slave to Christ. To put yourself under his yoke and say, everything that's mine is now yours. My time, my attention, my money, everything that I've got, all of it belongs to you, God. To come and follow Christ will cost us everything. How is it an easy and light yoke if we must give our entire lives to him? You can't come to him and say, I, everything is yours except this one thing. I'm going to keep doing what I want to over here. We come to him and we say, all of it's yours. I'm in completely and wholly. If you haven't done this before, you need to. There's so much rest in offering your whole life to him. And until you offer your whole life to him, you'll still be conflicted. You're not going to be at peace if you come forward today and say, Jesus is Lord, but you don't make him the Lord of your life. You will only find rest and peace today when you come to Christ and say, nope, all of it's yours. Every bit of it's yours. And in that, I just want you to know the rest that is in this and the joy and the peace that is in this. How is his yoke the easy yoke? How is his burden the light burden? It's like this, because with greater obedience to him comes greater empowerment for us. The greater our obedience to him is, the greater he is empowering us by the Holy Spirit. That means potentially the heavier the yoke gets, well, then the easier it gets because he's the one empowering us to lift it. When you go in obedience to Christ, no matter how hard the calling is, what you realize is, is all the more is his empowerment for us. So it's easy. It's light because he's the one lifting it through us. He is the one at work in us. The greater the obedience, the greater the empowerment. Let's, let's come and obey him in everything in our life and realize that he is the one who is empowering us to do it. How is it the easy yoke and the easy burden? It's easy because he is carrying the burden of our sins for us. We are unburdened. He, he paid a debt we could not. He took that burden off of our backs. And since he carries that, whatever he puts on us is easy after that. 
the burden that we relinquish, that we set aside and give to Him in that He bore our sins on the cross means any burden that He puts on us is nothing. We can take any of it. And how is His burden light? It's light because of this. It means nearness to Him. When we take up the yoke of Christ, it's not just that He is now in control driving us under His yoke, but it means we join him under the yoke. It's, a, it's like a two-person kind of oxyoke. Because this God is not one who stands far back and commands from afar. This God is a God who came down and took on flesh himself to achieve uh, his own plans. He is the one steering and the one driving, but he's also the one accomplishing it. His yoke is easy because... Being with him, it's like doing a group project at school with the most brilliant kid in the class. You're getting an A no matter what. You know, you don't have to worry about this. You got a good teammate. You got a good partner. If you want to use the agricultural illustration, being yoked up to him, it's like the biggest, strongest ox in the field yoked up to you, the chihuahua, you know? I'm going to be all right. It may be a heavy yoke. It may be difficult work. But he is the one who accomplishes his work. And he is the one who empowers us. After all, the greater the challenge, the greater the obedience, the greater the empowerment. And since he has bore the burden of our sins, we are unburdened by that. The longer you go on in life, the more the past can weigh down on you. The heavier your past gets, the heavier it is with sin. But we find in Christ the one who will unburden us completely and wholly from all of our sins. There are none left for us to carry. So, Jesus Christ is Lord of all things. He says in verse seven or 27, all things have been entrusted to me by the Father. Is it good news or is it bad news? It's great news. And what do you need to do? Come to him, all of you, and he will unburden you and give you rest. You need to take his yoke upon you. Now Jesus is Lord. We are going to learn from him and serve him. But it's the easy burden. It's the easy yoke. Because he is the God who is gentle and lowly in heart. And he will give us rest for our souls. Let us go to Christ together today. Father God, oh, I thank you that you're so good. I thank you that you're so kind and gracious to us sinners. Father, I pray that you would unburden all of these people today by giving them the strength to trust you and your forgiveness, to trust you in your purposes, to trust you in your direction for their life, to trust you in your return and setting all things right. Father God, where there is illness, I pray that you would heal these people. All the more, I pray that you would make your presence powerful in, in our lives so that we know we can trust you no matter what happens. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.